Good morning. Right, good morning. How we doing? Good. All right. Well, we are in week two of a series through the book of James. Uh, I'm Vic. This is Joel. And um, so we're excited about today. Um, did you go to the game yesterday? I didn't go to the game. But what a show out by you guys. I bet a bunch of you were at the game wearing pink. That was pretty cool, right? That was pretty awesome. I was like, man, this is cool to be a UGA fan today to see like that happen. I'm very proud of what happened there to wear pink, to show support for an opposing coach's family. That was, that was awesome. That, that was pretty cool. The, the whole game thing made me think, though, if you heard about the rash of like fake tickets. Yeah. You ever bought a fake ticket? I've never bought one. Anybody in the room? Come on. Yeah. Who's bought a counterfeit ticket before? Oh, Um, man. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. It's it's crazy that we can fall prey to that kind of deception. How about the the Prince of Nigeria ever send you an email? Yeah. I sent him one back. Anybody else get one from that guy? I can't be the only one. You... (laughs) Did you, there, send, did you there, send him money? There is a YouTube video that's fantastic of a guy like going back and forth with this person who emails him. It's, it's worth it. Just go Google so, that one. So you would think, though, that somebody like Google could not get uh, yeah, duped. Exactly. There is a guy that stole over $100 million from Google and Facebook. Did you all hear about this? Okay, so this guy from Lithuania. It's pretty easy, actually. It's easy. Set up your fake invoice. So he sent fake invoices to Google and Facebook and stole over a hundred. They paid him over a hundred million dollars. Yeah, I mean, it's not like this guy is saying, oh, here, I'm going to try to get like a million. No. It's like, if they're paying me, let's keep going. So For like two years, he does yeah, this. Yeah, and he got caught, and so he's agreed to forfeit $50 million of it. What's he do with the other? <laughs> it says, it's unclear what happened to the other $70 million. Who knows? Some nice maybe cars they, he's driving. Maybe they can't find it. But the, but the whole idea that we can easily be deceived yeah. is uh, it kind of ties into what we're going to be looking at today in the section yeah. uh, we have on James. And so I want to read it and then uh, pray for us and we'll get to work here. So in James chapter 1, uh, I'm going to start in verse 12 where we left last week and read through verse 18. So if you have your copy of the Bible, turn there or scroll there, whatever you have to do to find it. Uh, Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is true. Your word is good, and Lord, we want you to speak to us today from this text, 
And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. It's amazing, like Vic is saying, how often we can just go through our life, and as we go through our life, how often we can have these things in front of us that are hard to decipher. Like, which way is the right way? Which way is the wrong way? Which way is true? Which way is fake? And James is a book, and this is why we've called the series How Life Works, that shows us how life works. And it's more than just a list of things to do, because you can definitely read through this, this book and think, okay, here's a checklist for me. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make sure I don't speak bad about people. We'll talk about that in chapter three. I'm going to make sure I do these things that he says in chapter one, etc. But James, really what he's getting at is our heart. And that's especially evident in chapter one. A place where I have fallen victim, I didn't fall all the way victim, okay, but uh, I, I got a phone call from someone on the other end who said they were from the IRS, and I'm buying it, and I'm like in the middle of this phone call, and then all of a sudden, you know, that's when the, like, the alarm goes off in my head. Maybe this isn't really the IRS. They're asking for my bank account number. I probably shouldn't give that to them right now, right? But that's what it's like. Uh, it, I fell into this trap of thinking maybe this is the IRS because um, I had just received a real-life letter from the real-life IRS. Um, I wasn't in that big of trouble, don't worry. But when I received the letter, I got a phone call. I'm thinking this all connected, right? And it started playing on little fears in my heart of like, oh, I'm in trouble. I haven't paid my taxes or something. Mm. Uh, but I did, and I was good. But that's what James is getting at. He's getting at our heart. When he's talking about, he starts off his book, and we talked about this last week, saying, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Yeah, that, that's not something you can just do if you check it off the list. He's going into our heart, like, where is your heart at that you could be in a place where you go through something very difficult that you could actually count it joy? Hmm. And then he moves on, and he's really on the same subject. We think maybe he's moved on if you're just reading this, but the more you dig in, you see he's actually on the same subject because now he's switched over from uh, trials to temptation, and he says here, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial or temptation, for when he, he has stood the test, he will achieve the crown of life. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. The Greek word's the same. Right. Tested, trials, right. temptations, it's, it's uh, translated in different ways. So what's happening here? Well, and, and so... Here's, here's what I think's going on. If any trial has the potential to become a temptation based on our response to it. Yeah. And, that, and that's what James is getting at. He's getting at how you respond to these trials. Either, either they, you pass through the trial like passing through fire and you're, you're refined, mm -hmm. or you begin to doubt God and who God is, and then you're tempted and you fall into sin and you're led astray. And so the, your response to the trial, I think, is the key to everything James is talking about here. And so he really, what we're looking at today is, is he's exposing the nature of man and the nature of God yes. and how those two things come together when we face a trial or yes. temptation. Yep. So we're going to look at three big ideas because in a world that's full of deceit and fake and what's true, we don't know. In a world that's like that, here's James who gives us incredible truths 
all in one place, summed up really nicely. And, and we're going to walk through three big truths of who God is this morning, who we are, and then what God does. We're going to talk through those three things, who God is, who we are, and then what he does. So the first thing he says is, let no one say when he is tempted, which uh, it may be obvious to state this, but you're going to be tempted. Yes. Right? So when you're tempted, he says, don't let anyone say God has tempted me or I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. He has, he has no capacity for evil. So James is saying, don't try to blame it on God. Uh, the reason James would say that is because it's as old as sin itself. Flip back to Genesis 3. It's shocking to me how many times... I would like to know how many times I've said that. Flip yeah, back to Genesis yeah. 3. Oh, no, yeah. It's, it's, That's why it's at the beginning. It's a lot. It's the basis right? for everything. So in Genesis 3, you have the account of the fall. Right? It's where everything goes wrong. Up until Genesis chapter 3, everything's perfect. Running around naked, eating fruit. It's awesome. That's what's happening. <laughs> and then in chapter 3, deception happens, right? Adam and Eve are deceived, and God comes in, and I, I want to pick up at 11. Um, God's asking him, ask Adam a question. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. You see what Adam did there? Adam, Adam chose to eat, but he says, the woman. But, but behind that is the woman you gave me. Yeah. Who's Adam blaming? God. God, you, did, you put her here. Mm-hmm. Adam's not the only one. The girls don't get off either. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So Eve is saying, no, like you put, I didn't put a talking snake in the garden. So Adam and Eve both, our first parents try to pass the blame on to God. God, you, to quote famous theologian, Lady Gaga, I'm made this way, right? God, you did this. And that's what James is saying. Don't do that because God doesn't even have the capacity for evil. That's right. The, the way you could actually translate this is that God is untemptable. If that's, that's not a real word, but it's actually the word that's used there, that it's impossible for him to do evil. Therefore, it's impossible for him to bring us along into evil. Um, for Adam and Eve, they blame God. For us, we blame God. I, James doesn't just start off by saying, let no one say when he is tempted, <laughs> thinking that no one actually does that. He says that because we all say that. Yeah. We all follow in the same footsteps of Adam and Eve, and you can read through story after story in the Bible itself to see people who've done this very thing, who blame God. Oh, God, why, you know, why, why didn't you come through for me, for me here? 
And all this happens when we're being tested, right? This is all in the context of, of James starting off with this idea of trials. When we're in the middle of trials and we're in the middle of, you know, just being worn down, we become undisciplined, all of a sudden that sin seems a little more like, okay, and we are more prone to go that way. And when we do, we say, well, God, you're the one who put us in this situation to begin with, so what, what did you expect from me? So, so the question then, whose fault is it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whose fault is yeah, it? Yeah, whose fault is it? So it'd be James like, gives us an answer. Yeah. He doesn't leave us hanging. Well, so. but think about this. Let me use this example. Is like you and your class taking a test. You take an exam. You fail the exam. And whose fault is it? It's always the it's professor. The te- it's the teacher's fault, always, right? Isn't always. it? They didn't teach me this. <laughs> That's what you say. <laughs> they didn't teach me this. It was terrible. But whose fault is it? It's ours. Mm, you didn't think you were getting that this morning. Mm, sorry. That was free. Verse 14. <laughs> James says, uh, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own mm-hmm. desire. The, the temptation comes from within. So this is who we are. That, yes, that's who we are. So God has no capacity for evil, we have a massive capacity for it, right? You all right over there? Sorry about that. <laughs> we have a massive capacity for it. Uh, Paul talks about this in Romans 7, where there, there's this great conflict inside of Paul. The, that which I don't want to do, I do. And then I think it's somewhere around verse 22, he says, but deep within me, I desire to do the will of God. So this, there's this thing warring inside us that the, our position uh, in righteousness and our practice of it are kind of always at war until uh, Jesus comes back to save us from this. But, but Paul is, uh, Paul, James is saying, you're led away by your own desire. And it's this picture here of... Uh, so the lured and enticed, think of it as um, you're fishing. Any, any, anybody fish in the room? I, I, I do some fishing. So you, what's the purpose of a lure? It's not a trick. To fool the fish. The fish doesn't bite an empty hook, Right? It looks good to the fish. The fish goes, oh, lunch. Right? And, and they, their own desire for lunch, they grab the hook and get, that hook leads to death. Right? That's, that's what Paul's, uh, James, I keep saying Paul. Paul, and, Paul agrees, by the way. Yes. Um, I'm going to read that next. Yeah, read that. Are you going to read that next? Yes. Perfect. James is saying your own desire. What you, uh, and I think it's important that he says your own desire. Mm-hmm. There are some uh, lures that fish won't bite yeah. because it's just not desirable to them. Yeah. But, but James is saying there is, there is a thing in you that when it's put in front of you, mm-hmm. you're going to be tempted and you're going to be, the potential for you to be led away by it is very strong and very real. And that's just who we are. And we're, James said, because of that, you can't blame God. Yeah. Think about this. What's, here's a good question. What, what do you go after to bring you security? Mm, that's good. What is it that, that you go after that brings you security? Like when you're in it and you're like, okay, this is, I, 
you know, and this isn't, you can answer a couple things that would be perfectly fine, but when that, that thing becomes your security to the extent that it uh, challenges God's place in your life and overtakes it, then, you know, th- that's the whole idea of desire. The word de- desire there is the Greek word epithemia. It's the idea of an overblown desire. It's a desire that eats us up, that, that, that's bigger than what it should be. And he goes on to say that this desire goes so far as that when it gives birth, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. That's the next verse in verse 15. So this desire is leading us to death. And just like that fish and that lure, right, the fish is kind of hidden back in the rocks or in the brush or whatever, but that lure sits there and he comes out. That's what happens. It drags us out and then it entices us baits us with that bait to just grab onto it. And next thing you know, we're out of the water and we're flopping around That's like right. dead people. Yes. And so here, let's take you over to Romans chapter 7 to see what Paul actually does say about That's it. That's good, yes. And actually, before we get to Paul, let's, I'll, I'll, while you're flipping around, Romans 7, I'll tell you what Jesus says about it. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, Don't you see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? He says, what, What's coming in from the outside is not what's evil. He says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart, of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So that's what Jesus says. He says, it's it's that desire that's in your heart. That's what springs up. Paul says in Romans 7, Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am the flesh sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions, for what I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. He's talking about this battle that's going on within him. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. I almost can't read it. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He's tracing it back to this root of sin and desire that's in our heart because we have uh, a sinful flesh. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I, that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I can't stop reading. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my, with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. That's the battle that's waging. In that's the battle and Paul's question, oh wretched man, who will save me from this? That's, that's really what James is getting at here. And it's... Um, the, the book of James is unbelievably practical. We, we were talking about it this morning. You said it's, when, when you really get in it, you realize this isn't, uh, like, like a lot of times we'll, we'll work through passages of the book and there's these deep theological things you just have to just sit and think about. 
for a long time. James is very, uh, he takes the theology and puts wheels on it yeah. and rolls it out and says, we, we got to drive this, all right? This is... Um, he gives us pictures. Pictures and the images of, yes, the of, you know what's going on in your own heart. Yeah. And you know the propensity to, to be tempted and to be lured away and to, mm. and to perhaps even fail. And James says, you, you can't blame God because of the character of God, the nature of God. He is good. There's no capacity for evil. But we are fallen and broken because our first parents plunged the entire human race into brokenness and sin. And, and it's, it's all through the scriptures. Genesis 6, 5, shortly after the fall. It says, God looked and saw the inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. We are in bad shape. The words of Jesus, right? Like, we're in trouble. And if it stops at verse 15, we're done, right? Desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, brings death. Sin kills things. It kills relationships. It kills uh, potential. You name it. Sin is a killer. And, and I think sometimes we soft pedal the idea of what sin can do in our lives. Mm-hmm. We kind of play around with it. We're like that fish with the lure. Like, oh, man, it just, mm-hmm. it's enticing. We wouldn't give in to it if it didn't look pleasing and pleasurable. But it, but it ultimately leads to death. When, and, it can all, and it can be a good thing. Yeah. But when a good thing becomes a God thing, right. it's a bad thing. Right. right? And so the, the, the good news is we're not left there. Right? There's hope. And James leaves us with a lot of hope in this section we're looking at today. Um. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. He couches it in this very tender, mm-hmm. loving, pastoral. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't be deceived. Right? This is what you're like. God's not like that. Here's what God's done for us. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James is saying, listen, you you have this deep capacity for evil. God is this reservoir of good. Mm -hmm. And he he wants to shower you with goodness, with every good and perfect gift. Right? James has given us this picture here in contrast of what we're prone to do uh, how we're led astray and God being this good, good God who wants to give good gifts. And you, you had a question? I thought I saw your phone light up there. You didn't get a oh, question? I forgot to tell you guys. You can ask me questions. Um, if you have that, my phone number, pop that up on the screen. And I was just going to say something. And if you want to ask a question about what we're talking about, ask away. But really what you have here is you have, um, like the book of Proverbs, James laying out two paths. Yeah. You have one path that says, 
if you go through testing and you endure and remain steadfast, then you'll find life. That's verse 12. He says, if you stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. So there's one path that if you stand steadfast, you'll receive the crown of life. This other path is the path of desire that turns into sin. And when it's full grown, it brings forth death. He gives two very similar paths uh, going in the opposite directions, right? Uh, sin brings forth, or, or desire brings forth sin, which brings forth death. And so what do we do? Which way do we go in this? And, and James says, here's what you're going to think. You're going to think that sin's not that bad and God's not that good. That's but good. the reality is sin is much worse than you ever thought. It's going to take you much further than you ever wanted it to take you. It's going to cost much more than you ever wanted it to cost you. And God is much better than you could have ever imagined. This God who gives, he's already said it in verse 5. He says, if you lack wisdom, let, let him ask of God who gives generously. God gives to us. And then he follows it up in verse 17. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. In 1 John, we're reminded there that beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. John is saying, what, love is from God. James is saying good is from God. So if you receive a good gift, ultimately it's from God. He's the God who gives. He's a vast reservoir, as Vic was saying, of goodness. And when we focus our minds and hearts on this truth of who God is, then we can understand and move away from temptation. Yeah, and there are a couple of pictures in, that, I, that I want to think about in the New Testament of Temptation. That's a good question. So what do you got? After you, no, no, let's go. Okay. But are there temptations God does and does not allow? Oh, wow. Can we pretend I didn't say read that? Uh, <laughs> no, this will help. This is a segue yeah. into what I was going to talk about. Yeah. So you have the temptation of Jesus, right? Um, it says Jesus was... <laughs> Led by the Spirit into the desert to be, or the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. Now, it, I know what you're thinking. Wait, James just said God doesn't tempt anyone. That, and you can go read it. Trust me, it says this. Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. It doesn't say the Spirit led him into the wilderness and tempted it led him into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. Here's the difference between Jesus and us. He had no capacity for sin. He didn't have evil desires that were going to lead him away. His desire, if you read the Gospels, was to do the will of the Father. If you remember when we went through John, it was constant. My, my desire is to do the will of him who sent me. So the, the desire that's driving Jesus is to obey the Father. So the temptation for Jesus has to come from external sources, and that was the devil. Yeah. And he wins every one of those. All right, so you have that picture. Jesus, perfect, holy man, holy God, um, doesn't give in to temptation. And then let's look at Peter. Peter... Uh, has a lot of issues, right? 
Jesus says to Peter, one of his disciples, one of his disciples, yeah, Peter's, uh, he says to Peter on the night before he's crucified, Satan has asked for permission to sift you or to test you, to tempt you, and, and Jesus gives Satan permission, <laughs> right? And so the when you have the trial of Jesus, Peter's, if you remember the account, he's standing by the fire and, and somebody says, hey, I know you, you're one of his followers. And three times Peter says, no, not me. So the temptation's in front of Peter, and we don't, we don't know ultimately why Peter denies Jesus. There's probably some self-preservation going on there because he can see what's going on with Jesus and he's like, I don't, I don't know if I want to go down like this. And there's probably some doubt creeping into Peter, and Peter fails, right? He gives in, denies Jesus. So what happens when you fail like Peter does? Well, if you go to the end of John and the end of the Gospels where Peter goes back to what's comfortable, right? They go back to fishing. And they're out in the boat, and they look, and he sees Jesus on the shore, Jesus comes to where Peter is, and Peter makes the choice to jump out of the boat and go to Jesus. That's, that's what you do. When you fail, you mm-hmm. go to Jesus. And, and that's, the, that's, the, that's the beauty of the gospel. It's what God's done for us. And so when you think about this, every good and every perfect gift, verse 18, of his own will, he yeah. brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We're set apart by his own will. The most perfect gift ever given was Jesus. His life given for us. You, you and I, because we give in to sin and temptation, and it's, who, it's by nature who we are, deserved death. And Jesus, who had no capacity for it, lived a perfect life, the life we could not live. And he laid that life down and died the death we should have died. So that we could live in victory over sin. The hope we have is that the perfect gift of Jesus has been given to us and his righteousness is, give, is imputed to us. We can walk in obedience imperfectly, but we can. And when we do fall or when we do stumble or when the trial comes and it's really, really hard, what we do is we move toward Jesus. That's the answer for how you battle temptation. Realizing who God is, who we are, and what God has done for us. Yep. So just dwell on this idea for a moment of of his own will, he brought us forth. That means he birthed us. So while sin uh, births death, Jesus births life. By the word of truth, that's the gospel. That's the gospel message that Vic was just sharing, that, that Jesus lived the life we could not live and died the death we should have died. By that word of truth, by his work, he brings us forth to be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. First fruits is this idea that, is, that starts in the Old Testament that where um, the first things, you know, that they harvested, 
the first of their harvest, they would bring out and they would set aside and they would dedicate to the Lord. And we as believers, James writing to these new believers, these first believers of Jesus, these people are the first fruits. We along with them are the first fruits. We still are the beginning of the redemption that God is doing as Romans describes uh, in chapter eight of creation becoming redeemed, of all of creation becoming redeemed. In fact, if you look at the book of James, do one solid reading through the book of James. And at the end of it, ask this question, what kind of people would we be if we lived this out, if we were this kind of people that James is describing? And if we were this believing community of which James describes, imagine what it would look like to the world around us. Imagine how that would become like these first fruits of creation set aside, showing to the world, this is what Jesus is about, of people who rejoice in trials because God's better than those trials, that God's working together for the good, of people who set aside in a way where we can, even in temptation, know that God's good and he can deliver us. So in all those things, we recognize who God is because of the gospel that he gives his son for us, and we can hold on to that in the middle of all those things and know he's good. And, and the rest of the book is anchored in this. Like from this point yeah. on, James, James is going to talk about hearing and doing the word, the, the sin of partiality. Uh, your tongue it's it's this he's painting this picture of what the community of Jesus is supposed to look like and and like Joel is saying man if we did if we just and we'll talk about this next week if we just became doers of this word Mm -hmm. man what would it look like I'm telling you the world couldn't they wouldn't be able to stay away yeah so if you've never trusted in Jesus today, like we encourage you to it's put your trust in him. Believe in the God who gave his son for you on, on, on your behalf. That Jesus took your sins on himself on the cross. And that he defeated death by raising from the dead. And so if you've never trusted in this Jesus, we, we want you to do that. Or, or maybe you have. And, and you're in a place like Peter was, where, where you have just fallen into yeah. sin. That's probably a greater likelihood. That you've fallen into some sin, and you're just thinking, I cannot get out of this. The hook is set deep. Hear this. Jesus is in the business of restoring. He can take the hook out. And so if that's you and you've said yes to Jesus, but you've just given in, do what Peter did. Jump out of that boat. Whatever's bringing you that false sense of security and safety, jump out of that and move toward Jesus today. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you are good, that every good and perfect gift comes down from you. There's no shadow. There's no changing in you. And God, we acknowledge we, we are a, we're a broken people. Uh, that we're just like Paul, that, that sometimes we find at war in our heart. We just want to do what we don't want to do. And, but, but Jesus, you're perfect and you're good and you laid down your life for us. And I pray you would drive that truth home in hearts and minds today. That we are, we are worse than we can imagine. But God, you are so much better than we could have ever hoped you would be. 
So Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do through your word and through the Holy Spirit for the good of all people and for the glory of King Jesus, we pray. Amen.